welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning, all of you. Uh, well, at least morning here in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Marty, and uh, I'm a recovering sexaholic, sexually sober since the uh, 4th of July, 2012. Um. Uh, thanks for uh thanks for having me um this, uh there's a, there's this guy that uh keeps calling me every day and uh and every once in a while he's like hey would you would you speak at our meeting would you speak at our meeting and and uh, I can only put him off so long so thanks Dennis for helping me stay sober um, this morning uh I'm setting on an overlook and in uh, Chugach, Alaska, uh, it's dark still at eight ten in the morning, but it's starting to to lighten up. And I'm parked in a place where I know there's going to be a gorgeous view, um, but for now I still can't see it. It's too dark. Uh, there's a little bit of fog rolling around here. Um, I can see some lights twinkling in the distance. And uh, it occurred to me as I pulled up here this morning that this is a it's almost an analogy for uh, getting sober. Um, you know, my disease, I have been in the pitch black darkness uh, with no knowledge of where I was, no understanding of where I was going, and without hope for any of the above. Um, and as the, as the sun comes up, as the as as the sun illuminates uh, my world, it's amazing the uh, the beauty that that comes into view. It's amazing the the detail. It's amazing the perspective that I that I get. And uh, so I'm actually kind of looking forward to my to the sunrise this morning as I'm sharing with you guys. Um, and I'll try to stick with the format of. Uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, with the emphasis on the uh, what it what happened and what it's like now, because you all know what uh, acting out is like. Um, but I will give a short uh, a short list of, of uh, behaviors you may find familiar. Um, as a as a uh, young man of ten or twelve. I remember the uh, uh, the disturbance that that went on inside of me at, at, that was part of our home, and it was not a uh, was not a good feeling. But you know, when you're a kid, there's a, there's really uh, you can't just decide to I'm going to hop in my car and go to a peaceful place. Uh, you're kind of stuck there, and so. Uh, my one of my coping mechanisms early on was was fantasy, and uh, I'd say it probably started out okay, uh, and that involved reading, and um, and I would devour books, and 
Uh, in fact, I devoured books so fast that my mom questioned whether I was actually reading them or just skimming them. And so she would pick up a book intent on proving that I hadn't read it and I could tell her everything about it in all detail. And, um, but that fantasy, that fantasy world soon extended into the, uh, JC Penney's magazines and, uh, and other places. Uh, uh, at age 12, I accidentally discovered masturbation. Um, and, uh, uh, but right away it was like I had found the treasure and, uh, and I would, uh, on a daily basis, almost right away from the very start, go back to that, go back to that place of, uh, treasure, um, and, uh, and continue to act out. Um, it was, it was the kind of thing where it provided such a great relief in my life that, uh, that surely this, this had to have been, uh, uh, made just for me. Um, I was pretty sure I was the only one that did it. Um, but there was also something inside of me that was at odds with it. Um, that something inside me that told me this isn't quite right. The acting out with self and, and looking at these images and fantasizing and, uh, and yet I couldn't stop. Um, you know, I, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't long before I was, uh, introduced by some other, uh, uh, boys in my town to pornography. I thought everybody was just gathering around the, uh, the Pac-Man or the, uh, other video game box. And, uh, really they were just gathered around one of the pornography magazines that they had stolen off the shelf of the books of the, uh, newsstand there. And, uh, and I pretty much at that point decided I can't look at that in front of them. What would they think of me if I was looking at that? So instead of uh, looking at it with them, I stole copies and slipped it into the pants of my, into the leg of my sweatpants. And then when I ride my bike home to, to look at this and all the while I'm riding home on my bike, I'm terrified that somebody could see the outline of a magazine in my pant leg and would somehow miraculously know exactly what it was and stop me and confront me about it. And, uh, um, I knew it was wrong. And so I couldn't stop. Um, not long after my dad confronted me because he had found, uh, some magazines and the, uh, the magazines he found, um, I was terrified. I knew it, knew what he had found when he, when he called me to his room and, uh, went in and he displayed three magazines to me and, you know, pretty much raging, telling me this was garbage and that there was not allowed in his house. And all I could think of was like, Oh my goodness, thank God he didn't find the rest of them. And so, uh, there's a house in Pennsylvania somewhere with about 20 vintage pornography magazines stuffed down the vent pipe on the roof where I crawled out, rolled them up and jammed them down the pipe to get rid of them. Um, I won't tell you my old address though. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that, that wanting to stop, but couldn't stop continued for a long time in my life. Um, until there was a point where I figured I never would stop. I couldn't stop. And there was just no way to stop. And I was just going to have to live with this for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, went through college, 
uh, even to, you know, in college, I was at a place where we had an honor code and, uh, um, this honor code basically stated pretty plainly that if I stole that, uh, lied or cheated that I'd be booted from the institution. And, um, but that didn't stop me from stealing pornography magazines from other guys' rooms. There was nothing in the rules against having them, but I wasn't going to have it myself because I was better than that. And I was going to, I was going to steal theirs in order to, uh, uh, to be able to look at it and act out to it. And then I'd return it and make sure it was placed just exactly. So, um, including, you know, a pencil that had the label up and on the corners are lined up on the magazines. It's crazy. And, uh, that progressed. I thought pretty sure, pretty much that if I got married, that that would fix my problem. Um, two weeks after my wedding, I was back laying on the floor at night after she had fallen asleep and we'd been physically intimate acting out sexually with fantasy and masturbation again. Um, and man, what despair, uh, the itch you can't scratch the, the thirst you can't quench the hunger. You can't, uh, you can't fill. And, um, and that was my life. And, uh, it continually got deeper and darker and, uh, and the deeper it got and the darker it got, the more despair there was in my life. And, and whenever that, uh, that restless, irritable, and discontent would strike, I had to act out no matter where I was. It didn't matter if I was driving in a car. It didn't matter if I was at work. You know, I'd, I'd uh, hustle off to the bathroom and pretend like I was in the stall going to the bathroom. Uh, didn't matter if I was uh, flying an airplane. And uh, that's what I do for a living. I drive airplanes, and, uh, um, and it would happen there. It could happen any number of places, but whenever that compulsion struck, that's, that's when I had to, when I had to feed the monster and, uh, um, danger to my life, danger to the lives of others, danger to, uh, uh, you know, my freedom. And, uh, um, because certainly if, uh, if interested authorities had known that I was doing the things I was doing, it certainly would not have been let roaming free. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, 15 years later, uh, in my marriage, uh, my wife and I primarily would fight about, well, anything and everything, but somehow it was all connected to sex and what I wanted and what she wouldn't give to me and how I had to manipulate to get it. And, uh, um, and it was just an unbearable, uh, an unbearable monster inside of me that that was chewing me up and uh, uh, just couldn't get away from it. Um, I've said before that 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 felt like having a bunch of rabid squirrels racing around inside of me, and um, there's really no way to quiet that storm going on. And uh, the uh, on page 151 of the big book. Um, chapter titled "A Vision for You." Uh, I uh, uh, this this really does describe what it was like at my bottom, and it's and I'm just going to leave it in the context of alcohol, uh, and everybody can interpret there. But for most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. 
means release from care and boredom and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. As we became subjects of King Alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that is loneliness settled down. It thickened, ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. Momentarily we did, then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. And that was, uh, and that was me. That was me. Um, I would, uh, I would strive to not act out by my own sheer willpower. Um, you know, the hand, you know, generally I could, uh, I could get a couple of week long periods throughout the year. I even once had 32 days on my own pure white knuckling misery. And, uh, and in the end, uh, you know, I broke that, I broke that string of, uh, I'll say, I'll say dry, um, looking at the, at the scrambled screen of a hotel TV and then full of that despair immediately following, like what happened? What did I just do? And, uh, and so one day I was uh, speaking with a friend of mine and, uh, I was telling him the story of, of, uh, of the one time I had been caught actually acting out and that was by my mother. And, uh, um, I was telling him that, uh, you know, when she caught me, she pretty much sat me down and told me that God was going to kill me for doing that because I'd spilled, uh, my seed on the ground. And she was quoting from scripture. Um, now uh, I'll just say this, uh, I think she was so terrified and didn't know what to do with it. And my dad certainly wasn't going to, uh, to deal with the issue. Uh, and she did what she thought might be right to help stop what was going on. And, uh, um, it wasn't until years later that I was sitting at a conference with, uh, with my sponsor who at the time was a, uh, little Jewish guy and another uh, Jewish guy who's a, uh, was a rabbi and uh i'm sharing them sharing with them this story and they're and they just start laughing and you know that's not what that means at all well my friend uh who had first started telling this to uh he sensed there was something not quite right and that i wasn't just a normal guy struggling with sex and suggested that i go to sa um so being the uh, really smart guy that I am, I decided to order the white book off of Amazon and uh, read it ahead of time before I went to my first meeting. And then I called up and just uh, introduced myself. You had to have a little secret handshake interview to get into the meetings here at the time. And, uh, and I made it to my first meeting. Um, 
as I was reading the book, I knew that applied to me. I, the white book was, was shouting my story. And, uh, um, and so basically, uh, I decided I was going to go to these meetings once a week was probably good. Cause this wasn't too bad. Really? This problem wasn't too bad. And, uh, uh, and so I basically, uh, would go to these meetings, uh, was sometimes a day or two, usually a couple hours worth of sobriety and, and share with these other guys, you know, what a great, uh, what a great freedom I had found. And, uh, and then in my misery, probably go home and act out again. Um, but I'll tell you the secret of that failure. Didn't have a sponsor. I didn't work the steps and I didn't call anybody in between. Had no position of service to, to others in that. Um, and really what it, really what it was like was I was, I was, I thought I had found another little lucky charm to slip in my pocket to help me when I got in that tight spot. Um, I, uh, that didn't work by the way, this plan of action. Um, and after about six months, I'd figured it wasn't going to work. And, uh, um, short, shorten the story here. Uh, a friend of mine was a counselor at a, uh, at a, uh, uh, at a, uh, treatment center thought that suggested that they might be able to help me. And, uh, I decided what the hell I can't stop on my own. Anyways, this is miserable. My m- marriage is falling apart and uh, my kids don't want to be around me. My dog runs when she sees me. Um, what the heck? And so, uh, so I go there with this question of what if it doesn't work? And, uh, what if this doesn't work? What am I going to do? What my life is, is falling apart. Um, and by the way, this costs a lot of money. And, uh, so I go and, uh, spend three months in treatment. And, uh, as part of treatment, they're 12 step based. And, uh, they directed me to get a sponsor and to follow his directions. And, uh, even confronted one morning, uh, around, uh, that got out of bed and, uh, walked to the kitchen and then did my praying. When my sponsor told me, when you wake up, you roll and slide out of bed to my knees, uh, in order to pray my step one, two, three in the morning. And, uh, um, so ever since then, it's been the roll and slide out of my bed onto my knees and pray my step one, two, three. But, uh, you know, the, the way that I had treated my higher power before this was he was a lucky charm. You know, well, if only I perform better, uh, I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray harder. I'm going to be a better person, do more good. And if that happens, then, then, uh, then he'll, he'll take care of me and make sure that I don't, uh, continue through with the actions that I, that I had begun, whether it be with masturbation or looking at pornography or, or, uh, uh the fantasy. And, uh, and it wasn't, and it hadn't worked up until then. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of figured, well, if I work this program hard enough, then, then, then that'll keep me sober. Um, you know, I stayed sober for almost two years, uh, at first, 
and uh, but I thought that uh, that I could continue my fantasy life. I thought that uh, I could uh, touch, but not have uh, uh, you know a climax, and I wouldn't have to call that masturbation. And um, and really, what it came down to is I'm still too damn smart for my own good. Um, as I as I started over this, uh, this terrible craw, this terrible thought crossed my mind. And that was that if, uh, I, I was on a, on a trip flying home from, from, uh, another country. And I thought, well, I just lost my sobriety. I don't want to tell my wife. I don't want to tell my sponsor, but the thought crossed my mind that I could end my life really easily. Um, and that terrified me. Uh, it wasn't something I w- had a plan to do. It wasn't something that I was going to do. But the fact that the thought crossed my mind absolutely terrified me. And something had to change. And um, I, uh, my sponsor and I parted ways uh, by in, in agreement that I probably needed to find somebody else. Um, and that's when uh, I found my current sponsor, Steve S. in uh, Memphis. And, uh, his directions were pretty simple. Uh, and, uh, and there wasn't a bunch different from my prior sponsor. Um, and so I decided I need to follow those directions. But what I, what I was certain that was, that was lacking was an actual relationship with my higher power and the relationship with my higher power was what would keep me sober. I have been a performer all of my life. In fact, my first, uh, my first fear inventory was, was was really a constipated effort um i told my first sponsor that i wasn't afraid of anything and uh and he got really frustrated with me and so we're talking and finally he had me do something to where i just started kind of writing free form and and i ended up filling up two pages with three columns on each page of of these fears about what everybody thought about me and what would happen if i didn't do good enough and and after the first three or four, uh, actually after the first like half column, he stops me and says, whoa, 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 I'm getting tired. You're a performer, Marty. And that's me. Um, I'm a, uh, <laughs> but, but like we say that we're, uh, we're addicts within these inferiority complexes. Um, but I'm a performer and, uh, and I can't. I can't perform good enough to stay sober. I can't perform good enough for my higher power to like me. Um, and so I was lacking the actual relationship with my higher power. And so um, as I started working the steps under under the direction of my new sponsor, um, he was having me call multiple guys each day. Um, and he was also having me... Uh, do things different with connecting with my higher power. Um, and I don't know, and I can't tell you the specific, what, what flipped the switch, but in the white book, it talks about how, uh, as we go through the steps, we, we grow this, uh, we grow this connection and a desire inside of us to do, to do good, um, with our higher power, but it's not because of a performance it's a response to his love. And I started responding to the love of my higher power. 
um, you know, this, this growth and this sobriety that I had found this joy that I, that I really couldn't explain, um, was, was coming, uh, really by no effort on my part. It was just happening. And by the time I got to my third step with, with my, uh, with my new sponsor, um, I went and I, and I visited with him to, uh, uh, I went, I went and visited to get to do my third step with him in person. And, uh, and while we were there, um, as we read through the big book, which is the instruction manual for the steps, um, we finished the third step prayer. Uh, and towards the bottom of 63, the last sentence uh, of the uh, last full paragraph says, this was only a beginning, though if honestly and humbly made, an effect, sometimes a very great one, was felt at once. And my sponsor looks at me and he says, well, does something feel different? And, uh, and this kind of this sinking feeling on the inside goes, uh-oh, was I supposed to have a feeling there? Can I conjure a feeling? What? Yeah, and I, and I, I just kind of crestfallen and tell him, no. But, and then it struck me, and God sent me this little reminder that a week before when I had already been doing all the prayer work around this and uh, had been doing the assignments my sponsor told me. A friend of mine comes up to me and says, Marty, what's different about you today? Something's different. It's like you're like light. You're, 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 you're like floating or something. And, uh, and God reminded me at that point that the friend had said that. And, uh, and I told my sponsor, I was like, well, that was when it happened. And so, uh, you know, as I've, as I've continued my journey, uh, with, with my higher power and recovery, um, it's not been easy. Uh, my defects remain if, if my higher power has not removed them and, uh, the, the work that I have to do to, uh, make myself available to him to remove them is sometimes really hard. Um, you know, I know I've I know I've shared this with Dennis and other folks in our fellowship, but uh, before I got sober, a four-year-old daughter, uh, she's four at the time, she's twelve now, um, getting up in the morning, and I was just a raging nutcase, trying to get everybody dressed and fed and out the door to school and actually be on time. Because remember, I'm a performer, and everybody's got to be on time, and. Uh, and she stops and she looks at me and she says, Daddy, in a sweet little voice and innocent eyes, says, Daddy, today's going to be an angry day, isn't it? And it just stopped me in my tracks. And this was before recovery, not long before I went to treatment, but uh, just the despair is like, there it is, and I can't stop it. I can't not do it. And, uh, you know, today... Uh, that defect is not gone, um, but it is much better. It is vastly improved. Um, the words of my first sponsor is uh, not as bad as I used to be, but I'm certainly not as good as I can be. And so I'm going to keep working my working my steps and trusting my higher power to remove that defect. Um, now I have a I have a, a process worked out with my wife where uh, I start getting big, and she just tells me, Marty. 
you're getting really loud. You're getting really big. Um, and then at that point, it's up to me to, to pause and uh, approach my higher power and ask for the relief from my from my defect. Um, today, when I when I talk with my higher power, it's a it's a uh, uh, a relationship. I'm not begging him like I used to to come in and and save the day because I wanted to do what I wanted to do anyways. But uh, he certainly walks with me through the consequences of my choices. He walks with me and uh, frees me of the obsession and the compulsion when I'm willing to surrender it to him. Uh, another friend of mine, uh, Scott L. down in Nashville, would say it this way, God's a gentleman. He doesn't go where he's not invited. And when I invite him into my struggles and I surrender my rights, my very specific rights, the right to think about somebody, the right to uh, evaluate the the level of justice in a situation, the right to uh, to do as I wish, the right to speak to someone as I wish to. Uh, when I surrender those and I and I let him work, then I find the relief. And um, step twelve, um, as it's as it's read in the uh, um, in our in our literature says this and it and it really does set the goal out for why I do what I do and how I do it. it says having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to sexaholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Uh, the spiritual awakening is the result that I seek in working the steps um and there, there is, you know, there's other fellowships that have changed that word to a, um, um, the, the way you emphasize the word, I think makes a difference, but, uh, that spiritual experience, that spiritual awakening is what I've been looking for all my life. That is the answer to the, the rabid squirrels racing around inside of me. That is the answer to the restless, irritable and discontent that relationship with my higher power. And the only way I've found to establish that relationship with my higher power has been to follow the directions laid out in the big book, the original, the original instruction manual under the direction of my sponsor who has had a spiritual experience and who has a sponsor who has had a spiritual experience. And I trust that, uh, another person's insight into my life while my, while probably not perfect, it's certainly better than my own, and I can follow directions and lay down my rights and surrender to a power who loves me, cares for me, has my best interests at heart, and certainly wants me to see the the vast, beautiful scenery that's being revealed in the sunset this morning in front of me. Uh, he has that gift for me every single day. And so... Uh, I really appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, Dennis, for inviting me to speak this morning. And uh, this has been good for my soul this morning. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.com 
thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.